Welcome, all you creatures of the night and late night prowlers. This is the latest podcast episode in gore and guts, slasher screams and squeals, and all the things which conjure up your nightmare. To be afraid is accepted, but it won't save you from the dangers which leer right over your shoulder and breathe down your neck. When the lights are out and the night is still, the beating of your heart will give away your hiding place. It will find you, and it will not be forgiving. This is It Records. Welcome back, all you freaking creatures of the night. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super pumped that you're here. It is I, Peter Hansen, coming to you live over the airwaves, talking horror movies, which I love, because I'm Pete. Uh, thanks, everybody. Is that your, is that your uh, impression of me? This No, I... <laughs> A little, a little more chipper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same voice and everything, but just a little more chipper, a little more, a little more, a little, little more, more paprika on that That's sandwich. That Pete hey, it's me, Pete. <laughs> yeah. But if you couldn't tell, that was me, Matt, talking. Um, thank you for joining us today. Almost forgot what movie we did, but it's back. It's back. I remember what we did. But before we kind of launch into that, uh, I kind of wanted to throw it to you guys. It's been a while since we last spoke. What have you guys been watching, horror or otherwise? What do you, what's been on the docket? What's fresh? Welcome to the show. It's time to find out what the terrible trio have been watching. Or who has been watching them. So, I got this. Um, I don't really watch a lot of horror stuff outside of, you know, what we do for the podcast. So, um, have you guys heard of the show Four Weddings? No. Wait, is it on it Hulu? It sounds familiar, but I have no frame of reference. Um, yes, it is a TLC show. Um, so you mm. know, it's kind of like that. Okay. Um, but basically, um, this the show that I've kind of watched off and on for years with friends. But basically, um, they will take four women who are getting married around the same time, and make them compete against each other to determine, of course, who has the best wedding. <laughs> So instead of enjoying your wedding, you will worry about how you're being rated by the other three girls. And then oh, wow. whoever wins, yeah, wins a free honeymoon to a place you didn't choose. And I'm just like, you know, I'm okay if I, uh, if I don't do this. Um, you know, you watch this to relax? Like, really, like it's, yes. <laughs> <That's>, that sounds <laughs> stressful. This is relaxing um, television. It is. Maybe for them. I'm chilling. Um, but, you know, it's really obvious, like, some of the girls that, like, really lowball each other. Because um, at first, like, they'll just give an overall experience rating to the others. And then, like, the other scores um, are revealed later. There was an episode, like, rating the wedding, like, from 1 to 10. Not one person rated the other, like, three weddings higher than a 6. I'm like, you guys... <laughs> Yeah, so that's super entertaining. I've been enjoying it again. So that's what's been going on with me. Can are you allowed to vote for yourself, um, or do you no, have to? You cannot. Like, can you say, "Well, mine was a 10. 
and these people were sixes. That seems <laughs> like a very flawed uh, system to me. Um, oh no doubt. They sound like uh, you know, I've been watching a lot of Survivor. That sounds like a better jury if I've ever heard one. Well said. <laughs> yes, that's how I would put it. Can you vote for yourself on Survivor? It's been so long since I watched so, it. But you wouldn't want to. Uh, there has been someone who has voted for themselves throw people out the on accident. It. Uh, I have not Not-so. gotten to that season yet, but I did okay. look it up because I was curious. Uh, apparently, it was like the dude was like a total moron. Um, I. That sounds familiar. Just finished. I used to watch it a lot too. Guatemala. I don't know if you remember that at all. I. Apparently, it's Not the really forgotten no. season of Survivor. Um, but it's... Uh, it makes sense, then. The season before was with Stephanie, who was, like, really popular. Um, and she's in it again. Like, she did back-to-back seasons. And she did pretty good this uh, season on Guatemala, but she was seen more as a villain, where the season before, she was more of a sweetheart, I guess you could say. A little sweet and sour. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, besides that, rocking through Survivor one season a week kind of kind of deal. <laughs> <laughs> just like you know, when we we don't know what to watch. We're like, let's just watch Survivor. <laughs> um, I've been watching some Lovecraft Country. Good, uh, good HBO action. Good horror right there. Nice. And I'm still plugging away at my uh, my movie marathon that I told you that was 50 movies strong. Um, I'm about 25 movies deep, so I'm about halfway done. And, and I only got 10 days left, so we'll see how that goes. What actor are you guys on? What did you say? What actor are you guys on? Oh, no, this is this is uh, different. This is not the, the... The other thing I called it the movie train. Uh, um, this is... This is a Halloween marathon that I that we planned that I planned out. Um, But recently, I watched uh, Underworld for the first time. I never saw it before. First time. First time. Super man, that is a a moody fucking movie right there. Um, And I watched uh, Day of the Dead the same day. So that was a couple days ago. We did very different movies, but. You know, it was on the list and it was right there. <laughs> one I owned, the other one was on Netflix. It's funny because Day of nice. the Dead is actually related to this movie that we're watching. I was gonna say. It is. Stay tuned for you figure out what we watch. Or... That universe makes it's no a sense. Pretty big to me, Easter egg. By the way. The. No, the Marvel Universe, like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, um, Diary of the Dead, I believe is in there, and I think there's another one. Most likely, <laughs> those yeah, are at least the remaining. Yeah, I know there's like a shit. Day of the Dead sequel that's a... supposed to be garbage. That's all I know. That's all I remember at the top of my head. Cool. Survival of the Dead and Road of the Dead. Which Road of the Dead is not out yet, so sneak peek, sorry. That one's to be determined. But Survival That's going of off the same like was another one. Weird formula that they have going. 
Yeah, it's, it actually came out. It's Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead. The Survival, survival of the Dead, Romero? Did he make that before he died? Because I feel like... Uh, check. Yes. Wow. He, 2009. That must have been like his last movie. <laughs> I know he died like a few years ago, but I feel like he wasn't really that active within the last 10 years. No, probably not. Not so much. Because the latest not movie I've seen by him is Bruiser, which came out in like 2000. And that movie is kind of bad. And by that, it is bad. <laughs> I don't remember literally anything about it besides, like, it has, like, a dumb cover. Yo, that does look dark. Yeah, I've never seen It's about it. a young executive of a publicity agency that has repressed morbid thoughts and is walked over by most of his acquaintances, including his wife, who's cheating on him with his boss. Yeah, that's a... Disbruiser? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. And it's not <laughs> rated very well. I only watched it because it was Romero. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's... In in doing this research, there's another Romero one that I want to watch called Martin. You guys heard of that oh, one? Oh. No. I it, highly recommend. I think that's 78. And I had really been off my radar. And doing this research, that came up. And I was like, I got to watch that. I Next. own it on DVD. Oh, nice. Uh I am a little proud of that because that's a hard one to come by. So good luck. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, good luck on your quest. I guess like something I could do for you if you're having a problem because I wanted – I could mail it to you if you wanted to watch that's it. True. You're into that? <laughs> Big time. Because I was going to give while you, you – While you're at it, throw a reanimator in there. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I was like, <laughs> I was gonna give you Bride. I believe I have Bride Reanimator, and I was like, I don't care for this movie. I'll just give it to Matt. I know he'll like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Little do you know, the first Halloween horror for October this month was Bride of Reanimator. I threw it in there. That's right. I forgot about that. Because <laughs> last year or two years ago, I did Reanimator in there. We get the whole series. <laughs> but I think that's a good segue as any. To kind of roll into what we did, we've been talking about Romero. For today, we watched the 1968 classic Night of the Living Dead, directed, written by George Romero. Welcome to a night of total Night of the living dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. More shattering than your strangest nightmare. 
from Uro did, like, pretty much everything in this movie. Yeah, he sure did. At, at that time, it was a independent horror movie, and he was little known in Pittsburgh. And to his credit, I think a lot of his movies, he kind of kept, did a lot of independent movies and kept the independent spirit alive, even as he got more popular. Tried to keep it to the same crew as much as he could. And for those of you who don't know Night of the Living Dead, if you have never seen this horror movie, never heard of it, um, it stars basically a group of people in Pennsylvania who barricade themselves in an old farmhouse to remain safe from bloodthirsty, flesh-eating ghouls who are ravaging the East Coast of the United States. This is essentially, I would say, one of the first zombie movies as we know zombies today they call them ghouls but they're zombies yeah he kind of they do call him the godfather of the zombie movies um because before there were zombie movies before this but they were a little different it was like black magic kind of it was like a lot of like voodoo stuff i would say is how they uh usually presented it because i can't think of another situation like before this where like you know it just people just rose from the dead with like almost no reason and like later movies were like oh it was a virus or some shit you know like it's like how 28 days later it's like a virus that spread and, and kind of like Busan as well yeah that too and kind of most movies kind of go this virus instead of with night of the living dead I don't, I I feel like I don't really see people turn into zombies. Okay, that's actually not true. Night of the Living Dead, you do see it. But, like, I was thinking of Day of the Dead, because everyone in Day of the Dead just gets ripped apart, so they don't turn into zombies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really gory. It's it's great for uh, people who are into gore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, 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 like, actually forgot that someone turned into a zombie in this movie. Yeah, and... In this one, it's uh, they they briefly say it's because potentially there was a I think a satellite uh, explosion, uh, and the radiation from from it might have contributed to these people coming back from the dead, recently deceased, come back to be the living dead. Is sort of the potential reasoning, but they don't really give you a concrete answer. I don't think that's just like a hypothesis. The news tells you, but. Just to, to Pete's point, uh, talking about the zombies, and this was kind of one of the, the first zombie movies that we know of, uh, to your point, before this, it was really like voodoo. Um, it was like, I walk with a zombie. is really the, the big one that I remember because I did a presentation on it back in horror film class. And that was zombies previous. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think one of the reasons I had to do it was because we had talked about Night of the Living Dead or we had gotten into the zombie subgenre and kind of discussing the history and how it evolved. And it really was more rooted in um, Afro-Caribbean countries, voodoo-related black magic, um, and it was forced upon you. And it wasn't really living dead so much as like you just became a walking zombie and you were kind of possessed, if you will. And so it's a completely different breed of zombie that Romero created for these 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 series did they eat like brains no not in the 
the original ones in like the 40s and the 50s. Just flash. When does that come into play? Do we know that? I feel like I feel like that actually comes later. I think well, it, they do have it a little bit here in, in Night of the Living Dead. You see it uh, when I think it was I forget their names. The the two younger couple get in a car accident. The car explodes, and you kind of see the cannibalism here in in this film. But I do think it might, there might have been prior to Night of the Living Dead, just not zombies so much. I think cannibalism as part of like uh, in like. I guess foreigners and like the jungle tribal almost scenarios where there's cannibalistic tendencies there, but not so much related to the zombies eating human flesh before Night of the Living Dead. Which, now that we've kind of touched upon that, they do eat human flesh in this film. This is, we mentioned kind of the modern zombies, we know it. If we could kind of talk about what you notice in this film that, you know, is pretty typical today of zombie lore. Um, Like, what is common about what we see in zombie movies today that really kind of started here, or you saw here at least? Does that make sense? Or did I muddle that question by by (laughs) continuing to ramble? Could you you repeat that for a second? I'm sorry, I lost myself. No, like, I'll give an example, like, you know... Previous to this, we said it was more like voodoo-related zombies, and now it's living dead zombies, and they eat flesh, and another one um, is like, uh, they didn't like fire. Like, that was something, or you can burn the bodies of a zombie. It was kind of a rule that they created for the subgenre, um, which is something that was new, but we see kind of more frequently now. Or just rules they created about what is a zombie um, and how the, and how they act. Well, it's weird because like you always got like for a while they were like you know the slow moving zombie, and then I, I believe it's Twenty Eight Days Later that is the first to have fast moving zombies, right? That always sticks out to me at least is that was the first one that they were like running everywhere. Because I know like. Shortly after that, the Dawn of the Dead remake has fast-moving zombies. And I think that's a good remake in one of the few Schneider movies I like. Um, so that's, like, a weird rule. And it's, like, when it's, like, a virus zombie, it's, like, a bite or a scratch. You know, you're infected. And you see it like spread, and sometimes you get cut off. Like let's say you got bit in the arm, you cut off the arm, you could stop the infection. You kind of see that a little bit, and especially with like something like The Walking Dead, which is, I feel like something that was very popular at the tail end of like the zombie craze, because we grew up in a very zombie craze era of horror movies. And I feel like Walking Dead came out right at the end of that, the show at least, because I know the comics are at least a few years older, and the show is like finally ending uh i think next year or some shit like that it's like after the i don't know but it's been forever i gave up on that show (laughs) um and then like nothing really stops a zombie unless you like shoot it in the brain um unless you're resident evil and then they're like oh it makes a fucking crab like 
you, you know, if you ever play like Resident Evil Five, oh yeah, and you shoot it in the head, and then like <laughs> something crazy happens, it becomes stronger. Yeah, it's bending the rules a little bit. Yeah, and I feel like most zombie movies kind of follow like a variation of those, like, like what how it spread, and then like they, it kills them, they rise. You know, within two seconds or half hour. There's no, like, rhyme or reason. Everyone's a little different on how quickly they rise after they die. Sure. Um, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And hopefully this answers the question, something that I thought of. Um, you know, with this movie, there is uh, what kind of, like, makes it scary, if you will, Um is more of like that feeling of being trapped and um you know kind of that impending doom vibe that you get like that's really what's scary scary is knowing that like kind of time is running out um you know finding an escape is not you know guaranteed so i think um that movie does this very well and the movies that followed in the decades uh after um maybe maybe not all of them have captured them so well but i really think that you know the zombies you know, the ghouls, as they're referred to in this movie, or the flesh eaters, um, you know, he really established uh, that vibe very well, you know, as far as, you know, where zombies are concerned. Yeah, and that's a really good point uh, to bring up. Um, one, you called it flesh eaters, because this was originally called Night of the Flesh Eaters. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Um, that was the original title, um, they called it. Um, but I think... And I'm going to go back to your, what you were talking about. But I think what happened was they didn't trademark it. They didn't have the rights to it originally. And somebody like um, bought it, got the reels, and they called it Night of the Living Dead. And then it got TM'd. And so then it stuck. But originally, at least he had the title Night of the Flesh Eaters before he called it Night of the Living Dead. It's also funny you say that about the trademark because they forgot to put the trademark at the end of the movie. So it became public domain immediately. <laughs> and... It, for years, it was really hard to get like a good copy of this movie. Uh, thankfully, Criterion Collection put it out. That's what I have. Me too. It's beautiful. <laughs> I got that two disker. Yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah, and, and just to go back to to Lindsay's point originally, is like the impending doom, and I think I overlooked it a little bit. Is like. If you don't know the movie, they basically get boarded up in a house, Barbara, um, and then this man named Ben, and a whole cast of characters basically board themselves up in this farmhouse as the, the ghouls, the zombies are approaching. And there, it seems that more and more of them continue to arrive and like are drawn to the living. And they're just really trying to figure out how they're going to make it through the night. How do we keep them out of here? How do we keep the, the house boarded up? What happens if they do get in? And planning... And I, I do think they do a really good job of that presence is always there and you're trapped. And that, that becomes almost a staple of zombie movies. A lot of them, at least, is like absolutely you, you, you board yourself away somewhere and it becomes a movie about a cast of characters trying to work together and how they're going to sort this out. They've kind of just like just created something how a zombie movie is supposed to like exist, like Train to Busan. It's like on the train. Uh Walking Dead has different settings. Um, in the season, I feel like people don't like as much as like the farm because everything is so like 
spread out mm-hmm. but they're like you know it's not as isolated because like i feel like there's a lot of traveling that season or some shit i it's been a while but like when everything is more contained it works so much better because like you got nowhere to go you're surrounded like even if they're slow moving like like you're just it's really hard to escape them because you're just out, so outnumbered and then like you tire or they don't tire they just they're gonna eat you and that's all they want to do yeah that's yeah, a really good point and to that i i watched that criterion collection pete um i, I watched like most of those special features on that disc too but oh, i need to do that it's so great you'll love it <laughs> um but one thing to to add to that you know the story is they're all contained in one spot, really, and, and trying to, you know, make it through the night uh, away from these zombies who are constantly trying to get in. That works really well in this movie, at least, because I think Romero does a great job of shooting depth. And I didn't really appreciate it until this viewing, where I learned they they had, what was it? They had a, a steady cam so that they could get some action shots that they needed to. And they also had a tripod, which was able to record synchronized sound, which is where we get all the dialogue. But that had to be stationary, and they could only tilt it. They could only tilt it, and then they, or they, then they had to go to the steady cam. So they only had two cams. I thought the steady cam was invented for. I guess they they made it better with Halloween. I'm guess is what I'm thinking of because the steady cam couldn't I, make, couldn't record sound at least at this time. Oh, gotcha. So it was just because I knew. I knew with Halloween, like, they did something revolutionary with the Steadicam, and I can't quite remember what it is. At least that was the case with this one, is the Steadicam couldn't record sound. So even when you see, like, Barbara running away from the cemetery at the beginning, any sound that was added uh, with the ghoul, with the ghoul or her was, like, post. Put in post. Yeah. Um, because they couldn't capture it. It was just the visual of her running. But then they had the tripod for interior shots getting the dialogue. Again, I think he did a really good job of shooting depth because there were times where like he'd have to have that camera steady and he'd have it like right up to the door or the boards sometimes and Ben would walk into the shot or Barbara and then a hand would come through the the boards and you'd be like right where the camera is. So you'd see them coming into the frame, into the shot, and then the hand would pop in. But the, the hand was the closest thing to the camera. And it makes it super jarring when you do that instead of like, you know, cutting different shots, um, just keeping it in one shot and having them move into the action was really well done just from a cinematographer standpoint, but also because they were limited to the tripod and they had to be still, it had to be basically in one spot doing that is also a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. So that worked out in their favor, I would say. Yeah. And I always think horror movies work out better when they're find themselves limited you know, it's like people's creativity really soars when they got to come up with solutions. Because if you, every big budget horror movie, I feel like, doesn't really do very well because it is like, I don't know, there's just something about having to like figure out your problems. And like, I feel like, because you kind of like, the characters have to do that. So just like, I don't know, it kind of is like a weird like, living through the character kind of situation when you're making the movie. But like when you have all the money in the world, you're like, oh, I don't know, just put it on a fucking helicopter. Who cares? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we have the money. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. And to that point as well, 
the Romero and the other guy, I'm blanking on his name, who was involved with either the producer or he was a writer. They, they, oh, yeah. Are you thinking of John A. Russo? I might be. Um, I, if not, that's just the screen writer. That's all I know. That's the guy who split off and made Return of the Living Dead. Okay. I think that, I believe that is who I'm, I'm thinking about then. The, yeah, because they was his, they split because of this movie, or did they did they do Dawn together? I don't believe he was on Dawn. Because Dawn to me is when I feel like Romero really comes, like he makes his like best zombie movie in Day of the Dead is like almost as perfect, and Land of the Dead is like it's still really good, and then downhill after that. <laughs> yeah. But. I think he did Return of the Living Dead, John Russo, which isn't part of the yeah the series technically. No, yeah, it's 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 its own thing because there's like fucking five of those movies. I've seen one and I I like it. It is not as uh, good like character wise. Like I, I know the characters in zombie movies aren't necessarily good. Um, they're just so like even more one flat one note characters the only thing that's interesting about return of the is the special effects which are incredible mm-hmm. which um how most zombie movies i feel like already are that they always have to have great practical or special effects however you want to go about it um and then there's like one punk chick that's naked through half the movie that people remember for it for it's really bizarre she just like <laughs> just decides to get naked dancing to a song and then she's like naked for the rest of the movie it makes no sense interesting okay <laughs> those are the those are the two two reasons why i remember that movie special effects and then some punk chick getting naked for no reason <laughs> all right there's like a there's like a tar zombie that looks really cool came back to me i thought you were missing characters at least um you were talking about um, in, in horror movies. And I wanted to bring that up in this movie. Did you have a particular favorite character? Um, or did you think at all, how do they mesh together? And I liked... Oh, oh no, that's it. Go for it. Please jump Go in. Yeah. That's all I was doing is ramping it up. <laughs> all I wanted to say is that I liked Ben. Um, and I'm sad about what happens to him. Yes. Um... Yeah, no, I just thought he was, like, a good guy, and, you know. That's all I really want to say. I like Ben. I think Barbara is very annoying. Uh, And she's she's much better in the remake. She's, like, since that, I don't know. I know, I'm sorry, I'm jumping the gun. Like, not talking about the movie, but in the remake, she's at least, like, capable. She's not, like, a damsel in distress. She's, like, actually killing zombies in the remake. Because it was, you know, the 90s, and they're, like, all about girl power. Um, so they at least did that. And that's all I remember from the remake, is that she's at least more capable. Or in this one, she's just, just distraught. and Catatonic? Or which makes like. sense, but but it is, it, I think, maybe they did a little too much, and then, like, and then eventually becomes a little annoying. Yeah, I think I read that the character was not intended to be that way. Um initially but the actress's portrayal of her in that light they just decided to run with it but i think it sounds like the 
remake portrayal was a a bit more of a positive change. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, from what I remember, it, it it's definitely Barbara's a much better character, at least like survival wise. And when I first watched this, you know, we meet Barbara and Johnny first, which is her brother, I believe, and they're going to their father's mm-hmm. or grandfather's grave where they meet the first zombie and she has to Johnny gets killed and then she has to run to this farmhouse where she boards herself up, Barbara. So it's really focusing on them as the protagonists. And then Ben arrives, who is um, this, he, this guy who shows up in a truck, I think. Um, and he's black, and it's 1968 again. So that's right in the middle of the civil rights movement. And when I first watched this, I really thought, you know, you know, she becomes really silent. And then he kind of is like this calm leader who's really trying to, like, make sure everybody is taken care of. And they board up the house. And there's full scenes of him, like, prepping the house to be boarded up. And, like, make sure it's safe. And he's, like, talking to Barbara. And like, hey, where did you come from and stuff? And like, this is what happened to me. And I thought that was kind of what they were going for at the time was like, because black men were not really cast in those types of roles as lead roles in 68 or as like, you know, the calm leader in 68. They were more seen as like the the outsider or the irrational one in movies at that time. And I thought that was like a definite, I guess, action Romero was taking. It would be like, oh, we're going to make her seem like the protagonist and then go silent and we're going to put him in the lead and like make a statement. Turns out Romero <laughs> didn't even intend for Ben to be black. Dwayne, I think Dwayne Johnson is his name. Uh, the actor Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Jones. Sorry. Was it the rock? The rock. Yeah, like, That's <laughs> Dwayne the rock. Yeah, Dwayne Jones. Sorry. Yeah, he was just the best actor. He said in the pool of people that they, they looked at, he was just the best actor and has, he was wasn't what? he a classically trained actor? Like, did he, he seems come like from it, like at least because he did? I feel like the way he just the way he carries himself, it feels like very like theater. Like I don't know, like the kind of like tone and like how he carries his voice. Yeah, it's like he's projecting or something. I don't know. Yeah, he he definitely seems classically trained, or yeah, he's like projecting to an audience, or there was a theater out there somewhere. Not overacting by any means, but just different acting that we would see, I guess, today. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought that there was a reason for Barbara being quiet was to like, now it's shifting to him being the protagonist, but that wasn't even Romero's intention. I think it has since people read it as that, especially with the ending. Um, I read it as that even more, uh, with the ending, but that wasn't Romero's intention at all. I wonder if he like, kind of like changed things a little bit as he was going along. Cause it was like, like you said, like fucking 68, that's like height of like civil rights right there. Um, Martin Luther King and Robert Robert Kennedy were both assassinated in that year. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. And then right before that was Malcolm X. Yeah. Got a so, couple years. Mm-hmm. America was definitely uh, going through some shit. Mm-hmm. Like we are right now. Yeah, <laughs> we are living through historic times right now yeah. as well. And I think because of that, um, to the movie people try to draw a lot of assumptions from the film or what it's trying to say, both politically and culturally, because it was such a tumultuous time where Romero might not have intended that, but a lot of people pulled things from it, from the Vietnam war to the civil rights movement. Yeah. I like to think that like writers are subconsciously like influenced by like things around them. And I just like, you know, I did from, you know, 
my personal experience of like writing uh that horror screenplay matt that you helped me with like i was like in obviously influenced of the times that you know i only you know i saying it like i wrote it a long time ago but i wrote it like early like mid-college you know i was like yeah. influenced by a lot of things that were going on and a lot of movies that were like the same genre but like he didn't even have like i at least had other body horror like to go off of he his other zombie movies were like completely different mm-hmm. and to that point and this just popped in my head i I listened to a George Romero interview um, and he was at like a film festival and, you know, he kind of reinvented this, the zombie genre in 68, at least to what it was. And maybe he, as you were saying, tried to change it a little bit each time he did it. And he, he gave advice to young filmmakers in this interview. He said, don't do zombie movies. You know, it's basically the same formula now. And if you're going to do it, you have to do it different because otherwise people are just thinking they're seeing the same movie. Um, but he said there's something that can be done. You just have to do it differently. And I I think he did that one A with the zombie movie, but also I've never seen Martin, but I've I've listened to him talk about it and read about it. It seems like he did that with the vampire genre a little bit. He did. And I really appreciate what he did with Martin. I think you would really enjoy it. Yes, I'm I'm looking to check check that out. And so that's just an interesting piece of advice he gave to making movies in the horror subgenre. You know, don't do these ones that have been beat to death. But if you are, give it a fresh spin. Um, even how, however subtle it is, don't just make a don't make a remake of my movie because people will they'll, yeah. compa- they'll compare it to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, that's he, like really sound advice. And you know, I mean, horror movies have a formula, so if you can keep people guessing, all the more power to you. Yeah. But he also didn't follow his own advice because I feel like, you know, with, since he did so many zombie movies, like, you know, they were all pretty similar, you know, you could argue, like, things like, you know, he at least changed up, I feel like, mainly, like, he changed the location with, like, that series, like, how Dawn, it's like, at a mall. Day of the Dead's at a like military facility. Um, I think Land of the Dead's like almost like a colony. Like people actually like formed like a way to live in a zombie apocalypse, and it's like about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he changed. I guess he changed it, but like I feel like he didn't change it as enough because I feel like a location is not enough to make it different. Sure, that makes sense. And he made a lot of them. But I think yeah, it's like he was trying to say, like, even those subtle changes where, like, you know, Land of the Dead, right? Is that the one you're talking about where it's like it's the world is zombie infested at that point? And it's like people living within a zombie world. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And yeah. And like Martin. So he might fall. He might fall prey to some of his advice. But I think that's kind of an interesting insight to be like, you know, just tweak the genre a little bit. You don't have to, you know, make a whole new genre like I did with with the zombie or make a whole new genre, but just add something fresh to it. And people will revere it as great work, even though you you just made a slight change. <laughs> Looked at it through a different lens. Another thing I wanted to bring up about the movie 
is before we kind of go into the ending and defend or destroy, but are there any particular scenes in the movie that stuck out to you that are either, you know, you think are significant in terms of, you know, gore or for a zombie movie, for a horror movie, any, anyone that really sat with you after you left the movie for any particular reason? I have a few that still stick with me. I can only speak to the end yeah. because it severely yeah. impacted me negatively. So I, I feel like ending, on that one. ending is definitely the most like monumental of like, I feel like, mm-hmm. especially of like, I feel like of such like a low, like a low budget horror movie that this thing, like, you know, it, it felt like this thing was actually trying to say something like because before that it was just like you know him changing up the genre a little bit then he like throws on this like huge like like unexpected ending on everyone yeah and that's true i i, I guess before we go into that because well, we can do that next because the ending is pretty prominent um the one scene i guess that sticks with me that i wanted to mention is there is the cast of characters, you got Ben, Barbara, with they're the main two, Ben being the most. Then you get a, a younger couple that comes up from the basement. They were locked in the basement. And then an older couple who has a daughter that come up from the basement. Um, the There's a daughter of the older couple in the basement when she turns into a zombie. And eventually she becomes a zombie in the end. And she kills her mother. I mean, I don't want to give too many spoilers away. That scene always sticks with me. Um, that was that one is just kind of still horrifying, even though you don't get as much gore as you might today when you watch it. Super, super unsettling watching that scene. Absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, for 1968 and what you had to go through for ratings uh, just to get anything to pass, that's still scary. That's still gross to me. And because at this time, you know, still kind of the universal monsters were big or like the radiation monsters of the 50s, like the, you know, or invasions of the body snatchers were like the movies. It wasn't so much gore horror movies yet. So much, I would say. Yeah, definitely not in the mainstream yet because, like, you had, like, was it The Godfather of Gore? We've probably talked about a little bit of him. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his damn name right now, though. It was, uh, like... Bava? Is that what you're talking about? Or no? No. What is, as, what? Bef- as before Bava. Who is he? Um, he's I believe he's a British actor uh, I mean director and it was like he was like coming out with movies the same time as like Alfred Hitchcock like 50 like fi- like late 50s early 60s Herschel Lewis um, yes that's exactly who I'm talking about um, his oh, movies gee. are very like like low rent uh, uh, blood fe- blood splatter movies that are I would say uh, very bad. The um, Wizard of Gore. For, 2000 Maniacs. Yes. Blood Feast. Yes. Uh, I've seen Blood Feast. It is uh, very boring. Um, but, you know, if you like him because of, like, very, his gore effects, they're good. That's they're, Those are the good things about the movie. The movie is too boring for me to like it. It was an hour long and I was so bored. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I talked about the one scene that was pointed out to me, but I think the one that sticks with all of us is the ending. So we can talk about the ending 
anybody wants to take it away and your thoughts on it. It just was really sad. Like, you know, you got the one guy left, Ben, and, uh, you know, you think you're thinking there's, there might be a way out for this man. And, uh, so when he's mistaken for a ghoul and is shot by the, you know, I don't know what they were called, like the, um, a posse the team that was a mob. posse. Yeah. Okay. The red, the, the red, yeah. mix, uh, the lynch mob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My heart just hurt. I was like, no, no. Like I did, I really was just kind of like more emotional more than, uh, anything else about it. Definitely. Like, and I, f- I, f- uh, I, I also feel like, you know, how they presented the pictures um, of, like, the dead burnings was very uh, pointed. It kind of came off of, like, you know, you know how there's... I'm trying to think of, like, specific murders that happened. But, like, that happened, like, during, like, you know, the Jim Crow era where mm-hmm. these racist people would kill black people and then they would, like, parade a dead black person's body around and it is like very reminiscent of that it was like it was pretty shocking and like i think that's why people like do think he was like i don't know it really does feel like he was like trying to make a point because it is so similar to like those acts and it's like pretty shocking 100 percent agreed and i think even the way he films it at the end with like the stop where it looks like photographs um yeah and the whole movie which it was a cheap reason to do black and white because color was was available at the time just not for everybody and this was an independent movie so they chose black and white the news at the time was in black and white so when you saw images like this it's it, it felt like the news i feel like it felt like a newsreel, especially when they did like the helicopter shots that showed the the posse coming through the fields towards the house. It just feels it felt like B roll footage from a newsreel, and it felt like it was supposed to be, you know, a message he was sending, um, even more so. But he says no. But I mean, it just seems so on the head that that's what he was going for. And even to bring it all home, even if it isn't about like the civil rights with with Ben being the last survivor and they kill him. It's even just like that fatalism of the maybe the 60s that he was trying to emulate with people and the unrest of the the war and just, you know, people having a pessimistic view of the world and where they were going. That even if it wasn't Ben, no one was going to make it out. It was it was just there was going to be no happy ending here. Um, That was clear. And you weren't going to be happy with what you got. I know we've talked about this at length, but do we have any other trivia or production notes in mind? You know it. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. You made it. They finished discussing the plot of this terrifying movie. Onward to the fun bits of trivia and production for this film. Okay, so there is a lot of trivia out there, which is cool. Um, so narrowing it down was not easy, but. Um, usually in my trivia notes from IMDb, so that is where they are coming from this time. Um, there's like over a hundred of them on IMDb, but one of my favorites, um, that was written is that evidently when the ghouls or the flesh eaters 
are eating the bodies in the truck in that scene. Um, they're eating roast ham with chocolate sauce. So that's great. Mm. Um, but apparently the filmmakers were kind of just like, you know, there's little point in putting makeup on the ghouls since they ended up looking like super pale and sick in any case. Um, and then Bosco chocolate syrup was used to imitate blood throughout the movie. So that's pretty creative. Bosco, yeah, and I guess it works as if it's black and white film. You don't need it to yeah. resemble actual blood. That's a great point. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about zombies, like using that word. And, you know, for a movie, that's kind of been the trailblazer um, for these uh, movies. That word is never used in this film. Um, you know, there's lots of other terms that are used. Uh, they call them those things uh, that was commonly used by the characters, ghouls or flesh eaters. Um, you know, yeah, with this movie kind of being first of its kind, as we talked about and set up what we see a lot in zombie movies in the coming decade and movies since. Um, you know, like we already talked about, these the zombies eating human flesh and how they can only be killed by shooting them in the head. But I thought that was interesting. I'm like, yeah, they totally don't use that word at all in this movie. Um, and then just this last one, I thought it was kind of particularly fun. The screenwriter, John Russo, um, he was the zombie that Ben kills with a tire iron. Um, he also like really took one for the team and agreed to be set on fire when nobody else would. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so I guess, like, as far as uh, his zombie walk, uh, George Romero was happy with it, and Russo attributed that to probably being hungover. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I also, as I was watching the Criterion uh, commentary from these guys, like, he also learned that, like, uh, I think it was Johnny, who's the brother of Barbara, was, like, one of the producers of the movie um, and filled in the do Johnny. And what was it? The car at the beginning that they're driving was, uh, I believe, that guy's mom's car that they used <laughs> for the movie. <laughs> oh, wow. And, like, you know, when it hits the tree and there's, like, that dent in it um, because Barbara drives into the tree and has to get out. Um, she had actually gotten to a fender bender, like, earlier that week, so she let them use it. And they, they were like, we got to work in this dent somehow because <laughs> we have one. We don't have to make it. <laughs> That's really That's funny. Yeah, so it just seemed like a like a really I mean, small budget independent movie that a, everybody like lent something to it to make it work. They all were trying to make this uh, be the best it could be, which is fun. I mean, it's a very well remembered movie. Uh, I mean, the fact that Criterion released it, I think, also speaks volumes for anyone. It's a big like movie fan especially for people that collect movies like criterion is like cream of the crop like movie that comes out like you know blu-rays or dvds or whatever you want to call them um because they put so much content on them and care into these like packages and you pay a good amount of money for them too Oh yeah, but they're definitely worth it, and it's it's really fun to watch those when they have all like a whole disc full of extra content. It's great, especially for a film lover, just to sit and watch that. But does anybody know the box office or budget for this initially when this came out? 
I think so. Okay. Is the budget a hundred thousand dollars? Romero mentioned it. It's pretty close. Yeah. It's he he mentioned it in that uh, what's it called? His interview I listened to. Yeah, it's like, like feature a, or whatever. Yeah, it's like a hundred, at least a you know, hundred thousand or so for the whole movie. I think before Halloween came out, it was like the most successful like independent movie of all time. And then Halloween beat that, and then obviously other movies have, like, it's probably, like, either Blair Rich or Paranormal Activity that have that record now, because those movies had made so much money on such a low budget, it's, like, insane. Yeah. But it did, like, super well, right? Yeah. And uh, made, like, significantly more than its budget. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know he made. He said at least seven hundred thousand. I think is what he saw. But again, we talked about that trademark issue, where like okay. it, you know, he he didn't see a lot of it for a while. He didn't get all that money because people it was in the public domain. That's hard because that's like one of his. Is that his first movie? I think so. I think it, uh, from my research, it was his first one. And then to not see most of that money from that, it's. It's hard to bounce back and make another movie mm-hmm. if you're not seeing any kind of compensation. Right. But it belongs to the world now. It does. It's ours. But if we don't have any additional comments, we can roll into if we're going to defend or destroy it. Yeah, let's get to it. Go first, Matt, since this is your pick. Did I pick it? I thought I, I picked it. Okay. You did. Um, We've reached the conclusion of the podcast. Congratulations on making it all the way. You have one final challenge. The terrible trio will decide whether this movie passes the test. Choose wisely. Defend or destroy. I'm just going to start off with, I defend it. I'm not even going to leave it out for suspense. I've really enjoyed this movie since the first time I saw it. And I own the Criterion Collection, so I think you could assume that I like it. But I think it's still really well done, even for being, you know, 1968, one of the first zombie movies. It's still really well shot. Um, I think it says a lot more than maybe Romero intended, but it speaks volumes for the time thematically um, about what it was uh, at least attempting to say. And I really appreciated on this viewing two things that I really hadn't before beyond just being a a zombie movie, a very simple zombie movie, is one, the craft that went into this, like the limitations they had we talked about. Um, They only had two cameras and it was really a 70-pound tripod camera that they had to keep the action going in this tiny little set. And they did that really well by just, you know, having people move off camera, cut to them you know, where the tripod was set up again and back and forth to really keep the action moving. I, I really appreciated that uh, going through it this time and the techniques they employed, as well as the independent nature of this. I thought it was really fun figuring out all the details behind Romero, Russo, the producer, just a bunch of guys in 68 who wanted to make a horror movie. And they put their heart and soul into it. And they were these guys in Pittsburgh who had a camera um, and made this movie 
and it was, you know, it's still this huge classic, which is crazy. Just to feel like these couple guys who made this movie is is really inspiring to you know other filmmakers who you know you don't have to be in LA, you don't have to go to film school if you just could come together with some friends and you know invest in these cameras and really work at this. Especially now with the internet, maybe you could put something together, and that's kind of the spirit behind Night of the Living Dead. So I defend it. I really enjoy it for a lot of different reasons. Um, I also defend it, you know, I also own the Criterion Collection, so shocker that I also enjoy it. I think, like, for me, it's, like, um, I probably am leaning more towards liking his, like, you know, his later zombie flicks, like I said, with Dawn and Day of the Dead, because they feel more of, like, my cup of tea of when it comes to, like, a horror movie, but that's not to take away from what this did for the genre and how, like, it, it was, like, uh like kind of saying like what you're saying like it, it had a message to it and i feel like you know sides comment martin is also like that uh but back to my point um is that it just it really like changed like horror like a lot which is saying something like it's like not many movies can say that and this he did it with this movie with a with a low budget and that's pretty crazy yeah um, to round things out, um, yeah, like, Ben's death was, like, the final straw for me, you guys, um, <laughs> but, you know, like, that's really, that's good storytelling, you know, he was a strong character, a strong lead, and, you know, when your audience feels, you know, the sadness from that character stuff, I think, you know, that says a lot, um, I thought it was a good movie all around. I thought it had great direction, um, great writing, um, especially great job being creative with that small budget. Um, there's not a ton of gore in this movie, um, but like we kind of talked about earlier, what makes it, you know, horror, um, you know, the murder, the death, the cannibalism, um, you know, that sense that time is running out um, and that claustrophobic setting, um, you know, that's terrifying so you know i think it really works in that favor um so it's a defend for me as well awesome. oh and i don't own the criterion collection <laughs> you can put that in the mail too you could you could have <laughs> there was a flash sale today i was very tempted by buying another the silence of the lambs Ooh, criterion but i didn't do it I was very tempted, though. Well, with that, that's a unanimous defend for Night of the Living Dead. What, what? But... Our second attempt at doing this movie. <laughs> that's true. It's very true. We, we attempted to do this one probably four years ago now. Uh, one of the earlier episodes. Where we just uh, watched the whole movie... Matt and I, because this is before Lindsay you, you joined. Um, I don't even know how that episode went because I didn't listen to it. Uh, I didn't know if it was any good because I just like I was like watching it and then I feel like Matt and I just made like remarks to each other like very sporadically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the only time we attempted to do that was watch a movie and make comments as we watch it, almost like audio commentary. 
I think that it could only work if we were all together in the same room, I think is the only way that it could work. Yeah. Or you share screens now, a days. I, I still feel like it wouldn't work very well. Yeah. I feel like you, you don't you don't get the riffing as much like not that we would riff on this movie but you know the you know the the back and forth right but until next time ladies and gentlemen creatures of the night thank you for joining us today when we talk about night of the living dead get at us on facebook twitter our website we're on soundcloud you can listen to us on itunes we love to hear what you're thinking what you'd like us to talk about what movies you're interested in, we'll discuss them. We'll dissect them. That's what we do at the It Records Podcast. Leave us a review. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Why not? What's the harm? But uh, until next time, I'm Matt Johnson. I will remain in those shadows, boarded up in the basement. So I guess now you answered what you're doing in the shadows. But why are you in the shadows? I'll never tell. That's for next episode. Okay. <laughs>